Hello, this is Seraphim. This is Dicax, your host for the Voice of Seraphim. Welcome to episode 13, recorded on February 5th, 2011. The Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and Seraphim Clan. Today's episode, we'll be discussing the recent Scars of Mirrodin block tournament, Legacy, February's Thursday Night Magic promo card, and changes in the MTGO event schedule. And we'll finish off with a Mirrodin Besiege Crackaback. Well, let's begin the episode by going over several clan news, shall we? <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait for Tim to get back. We'll start with the standard tournament. Ask him about his deck. You mean the block tournament? Yeah, yeah, thanks. The block tournament. On a more up note, I just saw the boss on WoW. I am gathering in WoW right now. Cool. What are you gathering? Herbs. Herblets. I just did Baradun's Hold. Should I be ashamed that I even admitted to playing WoW? You should. I, I played too. I was. Supp- <laughs> he goes, I played too. I think it's uh, even. Three people play, three people don't. So, uh. Yeah, I just quit WoW when I came back to Magic again. I played DD. That makes sense. How is that game? I like it. I've never played WoW, so I can't compare it. I played almost every MMO, but I never got a chance to play DDO. It's free. Perf- it's free for. Pl- it's free to play. No. Do has anybody played Magic Tactics? I read a few reviews on it. What What was the general flavor? Meh. It's like a piece of trash. Yeah. Like the graphics are outdated and the like, just like Magic Online almost, but like you have to actually purchase like the purchase new cards. You have to buy packs. The packs are three ninety nine. U.S. dollars. Yeah, that's why I was like, no thanks. When I saw that, I was like, why would I want to play that game that doesn't have, like, any support when I can just play Magic Online? Yeah. It just didn't make sense to me. I don't know what part of their product they were trying to, like, what gap are they trying to fill? Because, like, Duels is great in terms of bringing, sounds like bringing people back in, and that's how I got interested in it. even checked out what Magic was. Then I saw what it was, and it was like, oh, that looks... That looks cool. I think they're trying to get the people who like don't like card games, like prefer like graphics, like three D graphics, like an actual video game. Oh, that makes sense. It's like I, mean, I try to get some of my friends with Magic, and all their things like well, they don't like playing card games. They prefer to play like games that have like three D graphics. Movement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that makes sense, but I you think can that make your cards move across the table. It's called a Day of Judgment. <laughs> But yeah, I think that pricing structure they have is going to turn a lot of those people away, I would imagine. But I guess that's remained to be seen. I got a basic question uh, on post deck on the forums. How do you make it so that it links the card name? Uh, you should notice like there are buttons, like, like format buttons, that are like bold, underline, italics, and like that. That's your card button. You can you uh, highlight the card you want to link, and then you press the card button. So Tim is back, right? Is it, Tim? Are you here? Yeah, I am. I thought I heard. Timmy! So we're going to start the episode by um, talking about the Scars of Mirrodin block tournament last night that you won, Tim. And uh, Eldritch was saying that your deck was fairly unique, so I was hoping you could tell us uh, how the tournament went for you. Uh, Well, I've been playing this deck now for about, I'd say about a month and a half to some block dailies. Uh, it's extremely draw-dependent. But basically, it's a red-green deck, and it packs every artifact destruction spell available in the two colors in the block, as well as some burn. 
and liquid metal coatings to turn whatever problematic permanent I deem worthy of becoming an artifact and allowing me to destroy it and to draw some cards. And so the deck basically works by just destroying all your stuff and drawing cards off the Viridin Revels. And then hopefully killing you later with a Horde Smelter Dragon, which, again, will destroy some more of your permanents. <laughs> you said it's... So Viridian Rebels is one of those cards that you don't really see that, that much. Yeah, I don't no, even know what it is. It's an amazing I was card. Ask you well, Viridin Rebels, it's a, it's a three-mana enchantment for two green mana and one colorless. And it reads, whenever an, uh, whenever an artifact goes to the graveyard under an opponent's control, you draw a card. Oh, yes, I have seen this card. So... Things like Precursor Golem, like this is my favorite spell in the whole game to see right now in block, because as someone casts that, I'm going to hit it with a Slice and Twain, and I'm going to draw six cards out of the deal. And they're going to be standing there with two cards left in their hand, one probably being a counter spell, wondering what to do with the two Horde Smelters and Worm Coil that's about to come out at them. And um, you said it's draw dependent, what do you mean by that? Well, you really need the um, you need the liquid metal, um, unless they're playing an artifact heavy deck. And on top of that, you will also need the the Beard and Revels just to keep your cards on pace. I find without the card advantage, it runs out of steam too quickly, and someone can take control of you with something like a Venser. Do you pretty much have to have the liquid metal coating in your opening hand, or you get nervous? I guess. Uh, depending on the deck that I'm playing versus, um, if I expect to see a lot of artifacts like the the current mono blue one that's in the block, uh, I can keep hands with, I don't have to ever see a liquid metal versus them, because you can pretty much control them without it. Mm-hmm. Um, but things like the mono red, or the red black, or infect, you, yeah, you definitely need that coating, or half your spells are useless against them. And then your win condition is the Horde Smelter Dragon? Yeah, Horde Smelter Dragon or the uh, Worm Coil Engines. Sweet. Or you can just beat them down with Oxidia Scrap Melters also. There's certainly nothing quite as devastating as going... Well, if you're on the play and you go land, land, liquid metal, and then on third turn you can blow up a land of theirs with Shatter, and on fourth turn you can blow up a second land with a Scrap Melter, hopefully maybe then fourth turn another land gets killed with a Slice and Twain and you start drawing more cards, and they just you can't catch up. So you said you've been bringing the second to the dailies? Yeah, I've gone 3-1 and do dailies with it, and 2-2 uh, and probably four others. That's not bad, because I actually don't think I've ever seen that deck show up on daily lists before. Which is kinda, so I guess, do you ever play against somebody using your same deck? No, I never get mirror matches. So just like your own your own deck, or did you find it on, like, online somewhere? No, I built it. It's pretty nice. It, it works very well. I'd like to I'd like to try to squeeze out one of the spell bombs in it for something more relevant. But the deck seems to really like to either give you 12 lands or 2 lands. Never a happy medium at, say, 6. I don't know if you considered this yet, but have you looked at the like, Scars and Gird and Besiege spoilers and seen any cards that you think might be awesome in your deck? Um... I haven't really looked a whole lot at new cards for that deck. Um, obviously, the Green Sun Zenith would work well in it because it could find your Horde Smelter, which is definitely a wing condition, or an early Scrap Melter if you need to get rid of a, a Planeswalker early on. Isn't there also uh, like a one-mana uh, instant artifact destruction spell in there? Uh, yeah, oh, Rush or Smash or something like that, yeah. 
Uh, it doesn't benefit a whole lot from the one mana, only because you don't have the liquid metal on board until you're at two mana anyway, and then any other spell in the format will still function the same way. And I believe that Crush is also limited to a non-creature artifact, and a good majority of the time I'm trying to clear blockers out of the way for the scrap melters to just start beating on your face. That makes sense. Beating on your face. And so who did you play against? What type of decks did you play against? Uh, round one, I played against Killer Cox, and he was playing. I believe it. I believe it was a white blue control, um, and I pretty much had second turn coding, third turn revels, followed by scrap melters and slice and twains and shatters, and then horde smelters to finish it off. And the games went fairly quickly and painlessly. Um, Round two was versus a black-red deck that the Postafarian was using. And game one, we had a really big blowout. Uh, he, actually, yeah, I lost game one to him. He just annihilated me. I had a terrible draw with two or three lands up until fifth or sixth turn. Uh, game two, he then had an equally terrible draw of two or three lands and I rolled over him quite quickly and then unfortunately game three I had to apologize to him at the end as it was a turn three, four five and six land destruction from my side and he really couldn't do a whole lot <laughs> and then the third round was versus Osric and the uh, Infect and I lost that miserably I couldn't keep up at all and who did I play first round in the finals? Was it uh, Fist Alpha? Yeah, it must have been. I'm just trying to find that. And I think Fist was playing the, the white-blue deck as well, right? And we went 2-1 there. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember, but in, in the top four, was that it? I lost against you in the top four. Yeah, exactly. And you, you were playing the white-blue, right? Yeah. And I, I think that was a 2-1 match, and that was quite a difficult match as well. A lot of counter spells, as I recall. Oh yeah. And then I remember Osric at one point asking if how long I was going to kill his corpse curse for, which was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I know when you're playing against a deck like that, you just hope they run out of stuff to throw at you. Well, that's good. Congratulations. Is this your first uh, tournament to win in Seraphim? Uh, yeah, definitely the first one in Seraphim to win. Cool. Congratulations. You play a lot of competitive magic. Do I yeah, I, I play um, I play a lot of competitive magic, usually uh, anywhere between two and three drafts, and usually a, one or two constructed daily events, pretty much daily. Making all those events is pretty time-consuming, so that takes a, a bit of a commitment on your on your part. Oh, as an aside, I did make your trophy today, so you can find that in the, the uh, Hall of Fame until I post up the summary. Awesome. What? I am really looking forward to Besieged Block Constructed, though. I think it's going to be a really, really good format, and I'm most likely going to be playing Black-White Control. That's kind of what I'm playing now, so I'm definitely looking forward to, like you said, Besieged. It should be pretty fun. Yeah, White, White Sun's Zenith just reminds me so much of Decree of Justice that uh, it makes me want to build a deck around it. Dark, what are, you, what are you trying to build a deck around? Well, I've got two decks I've got going. One of them is a Similar to Time Sieve, where you stock up artifacts, but it uses Tezzeret as a finisher. I'm going to use uh, Chalices and Mox Opals for Mana Excel, Necrogen Centers to whittle down the number of artifacts I need, and that one's kind of uh, iffy. 
I don't know if it's going to be able to work, but I'm going to give it a shot. And then the other one's a pretty basic shape anew into um, Light Steel Colossus, and then hopefully turn 5 I'll have the Colossus down, I'll drop Vencer, give him unblockable, and go for the kill. Yeah, Vincer's unblockable is something I was trying to take advantage of as well, with Mere Battlesphere in particular, but I don't see a lot of people really using that ability of his. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever actually activated his ability, like all the times I've used him. Um, all of them, or oh. just you haven't used that one, or? Oh, just that one in particular. I've, I've used his first, like, I, I definitely used his first ability and his ultimate many, many times, but I've just never had to use the, the middle one. It's never been a situation where I thought I would get more value out of attacking and getting an attack through than just blinking something. Mm-hmm. Well, I was doing a Bant or else a blue, white, red allies for a while when Scars of Meriden hit using Venser to basically blink the allies in and out to keep refreshing their abilities and then unblockable to go for the final kill. So that worked out pretty well in that, too. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think most of the decks I've played Vincer in are the controlish decks, which don't tend to have very many creatures anyway, so mostly you're just trying to use his abilities to blink your, like, utility creatures in and out. So I can definitely see in, a, in an aggressive deck like that, you definitely want to be able to use, well, you definitely have a reason to use the, the middle ability more. Obviously, I'm quite the amateur, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, I've never read all of his abilities, I guess. Like, you could make some good use of that in that aggro deck. Expect actually that that Venser ability could be used in a uh, white blue aggro knight deck coming up. Oh yeah, I see knights as being a real uh, dark horse with them set coming out because uh, with the knight lord they gave us in four eleven. I mean, with all the first strikes and indestructible, and there's going to be a lot of one through three mana drops and. I can see that being the new aggro build. So the next uh, tournament is a standard tournament, and it is February 12th. Is this a Saturday tournament? Yeah, it's going to be a Saturday tournament. Uh, I got, you know, I, I didn't mess up the schedule this month for some reason. I think it was because of that one week where uh, Magic Online was down, and we had to reschedule, like push all the tournaments forward. I think I reversed the Stars of Meriden block tournament with the standard tournament, so those are out of order. So. And we did the scars, you know, this week, and we're going to do the standard one next time. So this whole month's going to be kind of off. And I guess but once we get back to the month after, it'll go back to normal, kind of. Just the scars block will be before the standard one now. So that standard tournament is Saturday at 4 p.m. Seraphim time. Yes, it is. And it should be pretty fun. So I think it'll be our last standard tournament before the Greed uh, and Besieged hits, so... You know, make sure you, if you want to, you know, get a last run out of your standard deck before some new cards change things, it's a good time to do it. And then we got the uh, Zendikar League going on. It'll actually end uh, midnight on Sunday. Okay, so that will close that out. Um, in the latest post in the forum, Matthew's Meg is ahead of the curve okay. quite a bit. Yeah, the, uh, the rankings have only been updated for the first two weeks, so they're about a week out of, uh, out of date. And so the final rankings will be up, obviously, after this Monday, after they've concluded, and they'll be finalized that following Wednesday. Uh, so if you're in the league, and just make sure that you go back and check your rankings, make sure they're all correct, because by Wednesday, you know, that'll be, that'll be it. The prizes will be handed out, and it'll be too late to change anything. Ouch. And the next league is? 
is the next league uh, will be Invasion Block. Uh, this weekend, I'm going to be updating the league schedule, and once I do that, uh, you guys can go there and check to see what's going to be coming up uh, in the near future there. But uh, we already discussed this in previous podcasts. We're going to do the uh, Invasion Block thing, and then we'll go forward uh, in order of the blocks from that point. And we're also going to try to intersperse some of the newer newer sets in there. So, uh, you know, there will be like a Mirrodin Besieged, probably a Mirrodin Besieged League, maybe including Scars in there, maybe not, depending on what people want to do. But we're going to try to fit in some new sets and some other things where we're not just sticking with the, the linear old sets, you know, things like that. So it should be fun, but Invasion Block next. And and for those that are fairly new to the clan, um, next week is sort of an open enrollment for the league. Uh, the league cost five tickets to join. It lasts four weeks. Um, that first week is a week to test test your deck and get it better. You can also decide that your first few packs are not worth anything and mulligan and get some new packs. You would be stuck with them in that case, but you do have that as an option. Exactly. I think you think you covered all of it there. Um, not quite. What are the what are kind of the new rules around how many games you can play a week and over the four week period and the points you get some bonus points for playing a different number of players? All right. Well, uh, this is the same rule that's been around for a while, but overall there are. Uh, there's like an overall limit for the entire month of 20 games that you can play in the league in order to get actual match points. So our suggestion is to play about five games, five games a week or so to get, you know, by the fourth week, have all your 20 games finished. If you play at least five games per week, you will get three bonus points, like three match points and one tiebreaker point added to your score at the end of that week. So that's kind of nice. So if you play, you know, all your like five matches each each week, and you get exactly, you know, exactly five each week, you can end up with, you know, like, quite a few bonus points there, and the tiebreakers actually do come in handy when you get up there to, like, the top spots where it's pretty competitive, so it's nice to have those bonus points available. Uh, we also actually do have another, like, we added a new rule for the last league where if you play a certain percentage of unique individuals within the league, so if you play a bunch of different people in the league, you can get uh, 10 bonus points added to your final score. So for this league, I think we had around 18 people registered, and if you played around 13 of them, you could get 10 bonus points. I'm not sure the, the exact numbers, but it's something something like that, just to try to encourage people to meet new people and keep people from wanting to play the only, the, only, like, the same five each time. Mm-hmm. And how's the cube? The cube is going quite well. Uh, currently, we have 408 cards out of, I think, a projected like 450. So we're actually very, very close to completion there. Um, and we have started adding some non-basic lands. Just the last week we played the cube for the first time with non-basics. Uh, Coasty Dude donated a full set of Ravnica dual lands, so that made things quite more fun. Uh, you can definitely splash a lot more colors that way. And I think it definitely showed, I think almost everybody in the in the cube had at least one of those dual lands, because I think the full set includes ten of them. So almost everybody had at least one dual land, so they all were you know, splashing weird colors and it was a lot more interesting, I think, than previous than previous uh, cube games have been. Even and even those were pretty sweet. So it's nice to see how you know adding new cards changes things. Uh, we've actually been having each time uh, around eight or nine people join the cube each time. We like launched the cube in the last few weeks, where we haven't had a full 
like a, a full complement of players. I must admit, I loved cycling Eternal Dragon and going to find those dual lands. They helped my games yeah. a lot. Last cube. Didn't you? Uh, didn't you win the last cube? Yeah, I three owed both cubes that I've played in so far, actually. Uh oh. Yeah, so we know who to beat. So yeah, what, was your, yeah. what was your last cube deck? What did it look like? Uh, my last one was white black control, and I had Eternal Dragon, Yoshi the Morning Star, Exalted Angel, two Wrath of God like effects, and I forget what else was in there, but it was uh, uh there was a Solemn and. It was a really good deck, really solid. It played consistently. I enjoyed playing the the first one a little bit more because it was I don't know. It was a red green stompy with burn and stormbind, which it was an amazing deck. Who was it who had a long run of uh, standard of tournament wins? You know, Iceman won. Yeah, Iceman won. Maybe Tim is the new Iceman won. Well, he started his streak last night, so perhaps. We shall see. You just gotta, in order to beat Iceman, you just gotta win, what, like seven in a row? Yeah, that's all. That's quite a bit. Yeah. No, he had a good run there. Did he play in last night's tournament? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he was there last night. He usually is, but I just think this time he had something going on, or maybe he just wanted to give everybody else a chance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and that last cube, that cube deck had, uh, it was a black, black, white, red shadow deck with an isochrone scepter. Lots of shadow creatures and a Janny and Frexian Arena. So, how many cube games is that for you so far? Two. Yeah, I've been in two. So, for those people who haven't played cube, like what do you like? What do you think about the cube so far that we've built? I think it's an amazing set to draft. I mean, I've only drafted it twice, but both times I've been like I'm looking at the the deck file here and uh, I see the sideboard full of fully playable cards that were difficult to cut from the deck to trim it down to 40 cards. Uh, I think it's an amazing bunch of cards that are put together. The power level's really exciting to play with, and the fact that you don't have to worry about things like the cost of the particular pick or the cost of passing that particular card, I guess, is the better way to look at it. Uh, I find that really refreshing to draft such a powerful set like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, you see cards in there like Baneslayer, Angel, or, like, Grave Titan, or things like that that are just, like, super big, super big cards you just want to play, but then you're, like, in a normal draft, you'd want to pick those up just because they're worth a lot of money, but then in here, it's just more like, you just want to pick the cards that are actually good, so it's more... Yeah, and especially when you, when you're playing, like, white-red, and you open that Grave Titan pack three, and you're also staring at a Pacifism and a Lightning Bolt, and you're like, ugh. Either one of those two cards might make it so that I win this draft and get four packs or eight packs, but the Grave Titan's worth 18 bucks. <laughs> Man, you guys are wanting to make me draft the, want to draft the cube. I haven't had a chance. I had an awesome draft tonight. I, uh, I paid 12 tickets to join an Urza's block draft, and in pack one I got a Goblin Welder, or sorry, in pack three I got the Goblin Welder, and in pack one I got a Time Spiral, and I got three tanks in it also. So it was a, a pretty profitable draft by like 40 tickets worth of rares or something. They they added that new entry option to all the drafts, which is really great. Which uh, which entry option is that? Is that oh like... yeah, that's really nice. Well, you, you can you actually can, you can join either with packs or with just the value in tickets. That is very very nice. Isn't I like it? That. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so the Urza's block draft costs 12 tickets because it's like it's next ticks and. I think if you bought the packs from a bot, you'd pay 15 or 16 for them, so 
And there's a lot of money in them. Oh, they've even done them for the Nixtics event. Yep. Huh? Alternate oh, entry wow. options for everything. That's kind of surprising. But yeah, that was nice to see. It's like, that's great. That really makes tickets the uh, medium of exchange. I think, I think part of that, just it's nice because it kind of controls inflation. You know, in terms of, you know, the older packs suddenly getting more expensive or getting cheaper, things like that just kind of equalizes the value of packs because it just really stinks to, like, draft a bunch of, you know, draft a lot and win a bunch of packs and realize they're, like, for, like, resale value, they're pretty much worthless if the set's been out for a while or if it's, you know, or if the, you know, everyone's drafting at the same time. So it's kind of nice that, you know, kind of kind of equalizes those the values. Yeah, I think it's really good because, like, when they put something like an Urza draft up there, all those, all the bots are going to just gouge you ridiculously to buy packs from them, but now they can't. I mean, they'll still have their value for collectors and stuff, but... Wow. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I didn't realize they were doing that for even the Nixticks, which uh, I bet there are some bots that are kind of upset by that. That's what happens when you're a secondary market. But hey, yeah, that's right. Your uh, value is dictated by the primary market. But yeah, that's a really nice feature. So I guess just going back to the cube for a minute, like if just a reminder for everybody that's interested in playing it now that we've kind of hyped it up, uh, you're not interested. You all you have to do in order to play in the cube is just donate uh, ten tickets or like cards that are equivalent to that value of ten tickets, and you can draft the cube indefinitely. So that's actually pretty actually a pretty good deal considering we do at least now I think we're going to do at least two cube drafts a week. So it means you get to play quite a bit for for nothing after the initial donation. Yeah, no, it's really great. And um, I know there's no schedule set in stone, but what's the general schedule? How is it? How is that playing out? Well, you can you can find the, the schedule. It's in the cube drafting form, which is right underneath the event form in the membership section, or the the member section that is for the uh, members. Um, and in there, I typically post. Well, I always post when I'm available to play the cube. Uh, generally speaking, the day that I've been available the most has been Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, or Wednesday nights, uh, Seraphim time around 7 p.m., 8 p.m., uh, things like that, because that's just a good day for me. So I think the last few weeks has always been all Wednesday, but it has been pointed out to me that that doesn't work for all time zones, so I'm going to try to schedule one on the weekend, uh, kind of early-ish afternoon, the way like European players can get it on the cube as well. So just if you're wanting to know when the cube is, make sure you check the cube drafting uh, schedule like pretty often, and I'll try to keep that updated as much as possible so you know how to plan ahead. I definitely say, though, you can always count on the Wednesday because it's just a really easy day for me to keep. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That sounds like it's working out really well. So, Another thing... Um, Another kind of clan event that we forgot to mention is the Austere Reckoning, which is coming up. Yes, the new Austere Reckoning is going to be up this Monday. Uh, and you can obviously, like just like before, find those in the uh, membership uh, form of the member section. And all you have to do there is you find the Austere Reckoning thread. It should be dated, and it should say open next to it in square brackets. All you have to do there is just respond to it. Uh, and say here, and that'll take care of your activity requirements, at least for that uh, particular week. Uh, one thing that we do have, it's kind of a rule, is if you're a, a new member, kind of under, I think it's like three months membership, you'd have to respond to both Uster Reckonings per month, but if you're an older member, obviously you only need to respond to uh, one of those per month. 
And also, the okay. it'll it'll go up on the like the events section. It'll be on the main page of the site, so it shouldn't be too hard to find out when it's going on. And then all I have to do at that point is just follow the links, and hopefully, it shouldn't take you more than about five minutes. Pretty straightforward. And do you know how about how many members we have in the clan now? Uh, I haven't looked at the exact numbers. I think we have probably around 120, mm-hmm. and I'd say probably around 70 to 80 of those are the active members. You want to take a guess at how many packs we've won? You know what? Maybe instead of guessing, I could just look it up real quick. No, it's... I want to say around five, five thousand, five hundred probably. Okay. That's what I wanted. Six thousand three hundred and thirty-four. Wow. It's quite a bit more than I thought. Yeah, it took a big bump up there, I think. So that's pretty cool. That's since I've been here, guys. Well, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Making us look good. Appreciated. So you're sitting on, like, 800 packs. (laughs) No, I wish. I actually spent the last three weeks losing 250 constructive grading points. Pretty brutal, yep. But I won today again, so I'm back on track. On a side note, of those who are interested in uh, Legacy, now that we just had the new format of uh, Masters Edition 4 being released, it's a great time to get into the old-school-type formats. We are a pretty hardcore and running this, competing. One of them are here, who could actually tell you about his delinquencies in the tournaments. But, Tim, could you tell us about your last tournament? Uh, the one that I played today was... I had really good matchups for my first three rounds. I played against Ant round one, which... I like that match because, I don't know, I, I just seem to win it. Uh, my deck was a deck that is called Emrakul's Elves, and it's basically like an elf ball ramp deck. It combos with Glimpse of Nature, um, cards like uh, Nettle Senatals to abuse their untapping ability when creatures come into play. Uh, I currently run 14 lands in the deck, 13 basic forests, and... One Verdant Catacomb. Um, there's 36 one-mana cost creatures. Uh, 12 of those creatures, sorry, 16 of those creatures can independently produce more mana. Uh, another 8 of them can produce however many mana we have creatures on the table. And basically what you do is you cast a Glimpse of Nature, you cast a one-mana elf, you draw a card. Uh, you cast another one-mana elf, and you draw a card. Then you tap a bunch of elves, and you untap a bunch. And effects like Query and Ranger and uh, Wirewood Symbiote to both bounce elves and untap. Could you post that tech in the forum and just tell us about you know how it works a bit? Well, actually, you don't have to tell us how it works, but it would be so amazing if you could actually post that tech in the Legacy forum. Yeah, I'd post a list for that. that. That'd be so cool, yeah. We actually have a tournament center um, um, as part of the forum. This is in the public section. I'd actually like to see more decks posted there. So we really don't have that many decks there. I know we have a lot of competitive people in the clan, so I'm just wondering. I don't think think we're able to post new topics in there. I think it's reserved for moderators to post new topics. One thing, though, about that is what I would like to do is just, if you could uh, post the deck in one of the public sections, like just in the normal legacy classic forum or whatever, and then ask the moderator to move it. So, like, new Send, like, report your post, like, report your own post and say, please move this to the Legacy Tournament Center, and then I can do that for you. We do have a lot of players that are actually turning up, doing well in 
legacy, even classic, had, you know, a member doing well in classic, 3-1, standard for sure, you know. Myself have been doing, you know, standard for a long time. Thing is, the meta game is moving so fast that our forum, it, it, it is actually blocked. We, we, we can't just do a copy-paste, put that decklist in, and, you know, the next day we're moving on and playing something else, and, and it's just a lot quicker just to check out the decklist online and relate to that and adapt to that and just... Wait, I mean, one uh, thing about our tournament center is that it actually will tell people that are looking at what decks that we consider to be tournament-level decks and what like, decks that we're actually playing and actively exploring, which is why I think it's more valuable to our forums than just to go, you know, to suggest that somebody go and look at, like, the metagame for, you know, Magic Online in general. I do have it set up so only, like, the moderators, the deck masters, whatever, can post their decks there. Uh, and that's just to keep, you know, that, that makes, like, make sure that section of the forum is, is reserved only for tournament, like, tier one, you know, tier two, you know, really, you know, good decks, not like rogue decks that you see in the normal standard section. Um, and, you know, like I was just, you know, saying what, you know, like Tim could do, what I would suggest is that if you have a tier one deck that you played a lot or a tier two deck even that you want to, you know, put in that section, just post it in one of the regular sections and then report your post uh, and ask for it to be moved and I can do that for you. Sure, I'll do that. So you have a post here in the forum that you've started Fist uh, about Legacy, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Sounds like you're wanting to start, uh, eventually start an unofficial clan tournament. Yeah, that was my idea because I just got my hooks wet into this type of format, and I'm completely novice. I don't really know what I got myself into, but I like it. It is complex. It, you know, when I started playing Magic 15 years ago, those cards, it's that type of feeling ramped up with the power of the, you know, the cards that have been released for the next 15 years. It's amazing. So I would imagine on one hand that, you know, it's nice to have all of, you know, all of the cards that are available available to you in terms of building a deck, obviously with the exception of those that are banned. But um, also it seems like there's only a handful of Legacy decks that sort of dominate, but I've, I've not played Legacy. What's been your experience? My easiest sort of compassion would be against Modern Standard. The, the current standard. I think the, the, a good way to explain that difference, too, is that in a standard, in a, any given standard premier event, say you'll have eight players that are running blue-black control. Well, they're not going to be running the same deck list. One player may be writing two Vampire Nighthawks. The other guy, he might only be running one. While the third guy, well, he might even be running an Inquisition of Kozilek in there just to mix it up a bit. Whereas in Legacy, that same blue-black control archetype, rather than running like a plus or minus one card, the different players are running a completely different color as a third color for support cards, uh, changing the deck completely. And I think that's what really creates a huge variety in Legacy, even if there are a few decks that certainly do dominate the format, or a few archetypes that do. But there's uh, a lot of diversity within within those decks too. The modern standard is a, a lot more narrower 
and you'd have blue black blue whites you'd have aggro you'd have uh, you know some random deck that would you know throw in a mid-range deck so you probably have like four four decks in the meta game whilst in legacy as it is now you'd have 10 types of decks are reoccurring and winning losing winning losing doing 4-0 3-1 in the dailies over and over again yes since survival was banned it just opened up for a lot of different archetypes that are so good in winning depending on if the opponent has an answer or whatever whatnot so actually created a very a very diverse meta game where you don't don't have a very easy win you don't have the super quick win because everyone is prepared in the sideboard I think also the one of the things that really really appeals to me about legacy is just the the vastness of the card pool that you have to work with and with that I mean that meta game is so constantly changing and there's so many different viable deck options that you can build that nobody else is playing you can take it and you can win three or four tournaments before people decide that they're going to stop you with their sideboards and then you can make a new deck but there's just there's so many deck building options in legacy too and they're very viable i think yeah it's just like tim says it's it's very easy to get into legacy in a sense that you could actually just read through Netzek and you you know you'd have a couple of archetypes that are constantly winning but once you get into it and you under start you know understanding the intricacies of legacy it becomes well to me it was just a complete eye opener i has completely stopped playing all other formats since i started with legacy because it's so fun it's like a new game so I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes, and hopefully the people who are interested in Legacy can post there. You know, something you might think about is just uh, keeping track of, you know, maybe in a maybe like a league, like a Legacy league, um, just having like an Excel spreadsheet where you keep track of people's wins and losses, if nothing else, have a sense of who's leading in Legacy. I actually have an Excel spreadsheet that... Um... I enter all of my match data in, and it calculates win-loss percentages for me versus certain decks and things like that. I, I ran it for Eldrazi and Standard for probably four months or so. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, it creates really good results. Like, I can tell you, like, my matchup with Eldrazi versus Black-Red Vampires is 77.3% win. Oh, that's really cool. Out of a sample of 87 matches. That is really sweet. I wouldn't mind seeing your template, actually, because it'd be kind of cool if you had made it like a Google Excel spreadsheet that everybody could look at and access. And it'd be kind of cool to see your, you know, your template, the way we can make one for the clan. I'm sure it's something that could be pretty easily set up as a like form entry. My gosh, that's and just auto posted. Badass. Yeah, I'll take a look at it and see what I can do with it. Yeah, I think it would be cool, you know, to start up a wing within the clan that are sort of into legacy. I understand that, you know, having tournaments that are legacy tournaments on our sort of regular weekly tournaments wouldn't really fly because we wouldn't have a lot of 
participants, but entry-level the... cost for some of the very good decks is extremely high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still, you know, since the release of ME4, that that triggered me. You know, the release of ME4 triggered me to get into this, and honestly, I regret not getting into this a lot sooner. Definitely. When I I went to a bot today with a um, with a list of a sneak attack deck that me and uh, a friend of mine have been testing for some weeks now. He's got he's got the build all done. Um, but yeah, the bot wanted like nine hundred and thirty tickets for the Ooh. deck list I gave him. Uh, they do have two legacy decks that are you know pre constructed. I think they're adequate. Those. 1,000 ticks are eternal, which is very important. You know, when when you get a legacy deck, it is eternal. Meaning, the money spent is... Money spent... You'll, you can you'll actually never have to take away from that deck. You can only add... Exactly. It's, it's you know, you spend those money, you get the deck, it is eternal, more or less, which is not the case in standard. A thousand ticks to get competitive in standard, that's your entry level. And now you have to recycle. So, actually, getting into... If, you, if, if, if you're a long-term magic player, you should get into Legacy or Classic on MTGO immediately. That would be my um, advice. I don't think I'd be able to get into something like Legacy without net decking or turning to one of those pre-constructed decks just as a starting place, really, more than anything. Oh, yeah, I definitely didn't develop the list that I play. It's uh, It's got some modifications made to it, but it, it's pretty much a net deck list. Yeah. Neither did I, Dicax. When I got into Legacy, it was like my largest obstacle was the dual lands. Because those were the only expensive cards in the whole deck list. And then all of a sudden, they were pre-released in ME4. You can actually build a pretty cheap deck list in Legacy if you really want to, if you want to get in. I'd, I'd actually say that my main deck minus sideboard... You're looking at 45, 50 tickets, maybe 60 maximum. Is that the deck that uh, he was asking you to post? You're willing to do the that? The only expensive cards in it are Regal Force. There's only one of those in it. They're $9. Four Glimpse of Natures, and that's pretty much it for money cards. Yeah. On a quasi-related note, the clan has in the vault some standard decks. Does it have any legacy decks? No, it no. doesn't. It actually doesn't even have any standard decks either. Yeah, the only deck we currently have in there is a commander deck. That's our the Banana Fist. Don't start that. The clan will have a goblin deck very soon. A legacy goblin deck, and the goblin deck has been doing well. If you look at all the paper tournaments and a lot of the online tournaments, Goblins has been wreaking havoc. Goblins piloted by someone who actually knows what he's doing and knows the metagame, it's a disaster.
So I'm sorry, how would the vault have a Goblin's Legacy deck? Because I'm getting one for the You're vault. Badass. The only problem is that a few of the cards are very difficult to get your hands on. Meaning, you can't really buy them because they are not accessible. So, there are a few cards I might throw out a post pretty soon, but the clan needs one of these killer yeah. sort of we had you know, um, we had, last we had uh, uh, a standard deck at one time I, it's probably outdated at this point but maybe a legacy deck makes more sense since it's much more stable of course it costs more too but um, since it's more stable something like that would be really cool and we would you know have uh, a write up of how to run it etc so on what not but you know the base is that what do you say Tim goblins would be a superb choice for a clan legacy deck yeah I think so it, it's a uh, I think it's a pretty straightforward deck to pilot and you know everybody likes to burn people out Everybody likes to burn Everybody people out. Uh, the thing is, it doesn't have any burn. <laughs> it's yeah, just, well, well, the sharpshooter burns them out. I mean, yeah, I get your point, but yeah, there's yeah. nothing. There's nothing more fun than using that sharpshooter like a Gatling gun. Just all your goblins going to the graveyard and him untapping, and <laughs> yeah, it's lots of fun. That's cool. And the vault does have a commander deck. That's fairly popular. Yeah, we actually have had the commander deck rented several times, so it's actually a pretty good commander deck. Uh, I think there hasn't been some recent bannings uh, to some of the cards in there, so we will, we will have to update that. But overall, the, the deck is very powerful, I think. Uh, and plus, you can use it for free, so it's a pretty nice deal. It is. Thanks to Prism. I don't know if I gave Coasty Dude props for and the dual lands to the cube, but that's awesome, too. So... That kind of stuff is cool. That's what a clan's about. I think that does it in the way of Seraphim clan news. Well, thanks for inviting me on. It was uh, a, a good time. Hey, yeah, thanks for joining us. We're actually not done, and you're wel welcome to stay, or you can also go. Oh, no, no I'll, I'll sit around. I'm just looking at my deck lists <laughs> online. So uh, we promised we'd go over uh, kind of sudden movements and prices on the podcast. Just a good suggestion, so Hamtastic on Pure MTGO is kind enough to put together price tables. Do you know where this data comes from? Yeah, Pure MTGO actually is, or is the owner of, or is affiliated with MTGO traders, uh, so that comes from their bots. Banana Fist? No, thank you. Banana Fist, honestly, do we have, a, what, what kind of vehicles do we have to monitor price movements? Um, none that I know of. Well, because you know what I do is like oh, I try to figure out what you know what's being played a lot and maybe maybe a lot less. Do do we have a bot? Do we have a clan bot? Uh, no, we don't. And pretty much like that guy just said, we really don't have a method to track. I mean, I I like you know, said I check the state of NTGO to look at those like main presses, but really this it's only a very cursory inspection. Um, other than that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know how to go about checking prices, other than just doing it one by one by hand, like keeping your own personal list and checking those out. There is a. Um, it's funny you say that. There's a website where I know I've seen graphs of price graphs, 
like over time, and I don't know where the data comes from, but I was pretty impressed by it. I mean, it looks like a market. Well, they have those on uh, Amtastic has graphs on his pure MTG articles also. Yeah, well, what I meant was that you know, with the if you had a bot that was you know subscribing to the MTGO library type of uh, movement in prices, you could actually rent in some stop losses. Because it would, it would have to be signed up for that. It would download all the spreadsheets of updated prices directly to your computer in order for your bot to use those. So I would think that if you could access those spreadsheets, you could be able to make a, your own graph. Exactly. It's, it's, it's quite viable for us. I mean, we're a big clan. Maybe not with a big budget, but we're a large clan, and maybe that's something that we should... It's a tricky question because, you know, a clan is per definition non-profit, right? Right. I, d I think we do. But we have a, to sell in bulk and just... profits to fuel a clan vault full of cards for, say, a cube or something like this. I mean... That, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's per definition a non-profit organization, but... It would uh, be what, nice uh, to have a... Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be nice to have a clan bot. In terms of the value of cards and being able to track them, there's really three things that keep track of. One is the supply and demand. Like, the part of the reason Jace is so expensive is because he was only part of Worldwake, which was a very small expansion in the first place. And it was also very limited in terms of what was grafted, at least online, because that's where a lot of the single cards come from. Um, because after the release week, the only World Wake drafts that were going were two Zendikar, one World Wake, so your chances of opening a Jace were like 1 in 50 or 60 or, or even worse. So there's that that reflects the prices, and then there's also what decks are performing well. Again, with Jace, part of the reason he's so expensive is because all the control decks are pretty much any tier 1 deck that uses blue is going to be playing Jace. In them. Yeah, he's cross-format, too. Like, every format runs Jace. Yeah, and then um, the third thing is, are there any reasonable substitutes? Right now, Jace is in a league of his own. I mean, there's no Planeswalker with four abilities. There's no Planeswalker that does anything like him. Therefore, his price is skyrocketed, whereas Day of Judgment, there's other cards like, uh, I don't know, there's the other sweeper cards. I can't think of the names of all of them. But there's been 10 million cards that are ex the exact same thing, just named different names or different mana costs. So that's why Day of Judgment's price, even though it's a really good card, in standard at least, is basically bottom of the barrel. I truly enjoyed watching Primal Commands go through the roof recently. I bought mine probably five weeks ago at two fifty each. Now they're at six fifty or so. This week they hit six dollars and seventy five cents. Up thirty six percent. Force of Will went up a bit from eighty four to ninety six. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Because uh -uh. I bought ten of them. Congratulations. Oh I see. I'm sorry. Sometimes it happens that way. Yeah. One other thing that also affects the price is um projections um, oh definitely yeah at Eye of Ugin when World Wake was new that card was going for like what 10 cents online and as soon as uh, I believe it was Kozilek was the first Eldrazi Titan spoiled as soon as he was spoiled Eye of Ugin jumped up to like $10 so definitely if you're looking for cards to buy and make a profit off of to turn around and sell 
look at cards or talk to people to figure out what they think is going to be important in the next set, and then find the cards that interact well and will probably be used with them and buy them while they're cheap. I'll tell you one thing that I find makes me money, well, not a lot, but a little bit of money every single week is I think it's Wednesday when they post the Building on a Budget deck. The rares that are included in that deck you can buy at 9, 10 in the morning on that day for 25 to 50 cents each, and by 1 or 2 in the afternoon you can sell them back to people for 4 and 5 tickets each. Every week, no problem. You're kidding me. (laughs) Not at all. Dicax is sitting there thinking, man, that's where all my money is. No wonder. No, I don't. I always buy that deck. Banana Fist. This is like amazing. It is. It's amazing. Yeah, the day that um, the day that he posted the extended Shaman Rage Forger deck, I bought fifteen um, Leaf Crowned Elders that morning at two fifty three dollars each, and by mid afternoon they were selling at seven fifty eight ticks each. It was Sweet. amazing. Well, that's pretty brilliant. That's good advice. Guys, have you seen the card price of uh, the Lion's Eye Diamonds? Yeah. Did you notice that it went up? Yeah. Why? Did you did you do that one too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you do uh, Prismatic Omen? I didn't. Stigma Lasher? Stigma Lasher. So why did you end up buying so many? Like, why did you buy ten forces? I'm guessing he must have got the second place out of Force of Will so that I could play with them. <laughs> Just saying. So before we move on to uh, Mirrodin Besieged Crack-A-Pack, were there any other card prices that are noteworthy? I noticed Dark Crown Ravager went up this week as well by like three or four tickets. It's the affinity card, two mana artifact, and sack an artifact, put a 1 1 counter on it. It's the engine behind the affinity legacy deck. I crushed two affinity decks tonight, however, in that tournament. But bouncing Virid and Shamans are very bad for affinity. And so, in other MTGO news, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Do you guys, does anybody play Thursday Night Magic? I do, usually. I play for the promo like once, and then I forget about it the rest of the day. For the rest of the month, that is. For February, they're going to release the Pierce Strider and Peace Strider. So for Thursday Night Magic, you'll be taking aside either Phyrexian or Mirren, and you will get the promo card um, that is affiliated with that faction. I don't know if those are cards worth. Speaking of promo cards, have you guys seen the... Have you seen the promo card for this month? The yes. Spell Star, yes. Right? Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. That is beautiful. I want one of those. So alternate art? art or? Yeah, alternate art. And I really, really want one. Is that paper or online? I think what? it's going to be online. Yeah. Oh, for the Friday... For oh. for what? For player rewards? Well, hopefully they're going to... I mean, it's for, it was for Friday Night Magic this month, but usually the Magic Online parallels the paper. So this month they're offering Pure Strider and Peace Strider. I noticed last month that the paper card was Everflowing Chalice, and it was a really nice-looking card, too. And the online was Lightning Greaves. Yeah, that was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I would have loved to get those chalices. I would have played for a place of foils. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, if you check the calendar for online events, but they now are having two events every hour instead of one. That's great news. So that's pretty cool. I'm not sure that they can support it, but we'll see. Although at the same time, it's not like it costs them anything extra to add a queue here and there. 
if they fill up great if they don't oh well there's a lot of set reviews does is there one set review that you guys really like or really hate or Chapin has one Conley Woods has one Louis Scott Vargas has one I've been reading Chapin's those are pretty good who's? Uh, Chapin yeah you like his? I like his because like I've been like, I, I didn't read I always read uh, LSB's reviews I haven't read his yet for this set but I always read his I mean his are nice but he goes card by card and gives them a rating but I like Chapin's because he'll go through there and he won't give cards a rating but just talk about like their applications and constructed and limited so he'll like he'll say, he'll give you a card, and he'll say, "Well, it's not a very good card in constructed now." But then I'll tell you like what card, like what could make it good, what cards you need to make it good. So it's kind of like giving you a heads up on, like giving you like a different perspective on cards. Like these cards could be good if this happened. That's nice for a new player too. It helps you understand how a pro like him evaluates cards. Yeah, I like uh, Lewis Scott Vargas's uh, yeah, I like review because he goes card by card, and he rates it on constructed and limited. Um, I had read Chapin's, and I noticed what you're saying as well, but most of them, I've noticed most of them kind of skip around. You know, one card, they'll talk about it in the context of this, that, and the other. As a new player, it's just kind of hard to hard to follow. One other thing we can note, well, I know I've been talking to Pasta, and he likes to read a set of reviews. He reads a lot more than I do on those, and he mentioned that he's been enjoying reading the, uh, or not reading, but watching the reviews from the Magic Show. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. It's nice because you watch it instead of read it, obviously. Evan Irwin's a bit of a fanboy, so it's kind of hard to... It's like every card is an awesome card. That's an exaggeration, but, you know... It's true. No so it's a great him, at least. Yeah. But yeah, it is nice to watch the set review. Is there anything else worth talking about in the world of magic? Will, in fact, be Tier 1. In the block, I think it will actually be Tier 1. In block, it actually be a tier one. What do you think? What do you think, Eld? I think that's true. Oh, I mean, oh. uh, th- I mean, it's possible that maybe in older formats it could be a decent deck, but I don't think standard is really a good environment for an infect deck. Presumably, you're just in time for crack pack. Gonna do a Mirrodin besiege. Hey, I opened a Thrun today, or Thrun, however you say him. Very nice, very nice. Thrun. Thrun. There's no umlaut. Thrun. So yeah, I went to the pre-release last weekend, and I went to the release today, but then my wife called and said we had a busted pipe, so I came home, which was really quite alright. Do it, yeah. <laughs> it was real excitement. Man. Well, one thing was that, um, and I don't know why he had them, it was my understanding he wasn't supposed to have them, but he still had faction packs left over. So he passed out faction packs, which I thought were just for the pre-release. But So I didn't open those, just because, I don't know why, just because one day they may be worth a mint. Probably not, I'm just being OCD. But um, So yeah, I was working with four, four packs instead of six, so my, my deck was a little weak. But I did open through. Which is good enough. It was alright. There are many things that take it out, though. And, of course, you know how happy I am with my Thopter Assembly, which is just going to shake up Standard and reshape it. (laughs) I want to see that. (laughs) I worry about that card in Extended with the the artifact that you sack five artifacts and take an extra turn. Ooh. Seems to synergize awfully well. So let's do Crack-A-Pack. 
Oh yeah, that's my favorite of the whole evening, every time. So between the release and the pre-release, I have two Mirrodin faction packs and two Phyrexian packs, but I'm not opening those. I have opened a regular Mirrored and Besieged, and the first common is Nathasaur, which is 4 and 2 red. It's a 5-4 lizard. Sacrifice an artifact. Nathasaur gains trample until end of turn. Trample? That's kind of a high cost for trample, isn't it? Yeah. But it's a sacrifice outlet, too, just in case you wanted to mm-hmm. make, say, uh, what's that deck called? Or what's that card called? Burn a Celebration. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, but for Furnace Celebration, you have to don't you have to sack it with Furnace Celebration? No, nope. you sack nope. it and you pay two. Oh, right. Gotcha. In fact, you can't sack it to Furnace Celebration. Right. I'm thinking of Koldatha Rebirth. I have a question. On um, There's one or two cards in Scars where you sacrifice an artifact. When can you sacrifice... Your opponent? Can you ever sacrifice your opponent's artifact? Only if you're in control of their artifact, or in control of their turn for some reason, I suppose. Okay, so that was our first common. Koth's Courier is our second common. We're just rocking out here. Um, that's one and two red. It's a two three. It's a human rogue with forest walk. Sideboard, maybe for one. Definitely not a first pick, obviously. Quicksilver Geyser is our next common. Four and a blue. It's an instant. Turn up to two target non-land permanents to their owner's hands. Limited bomb. It's kind of pricey, isn't it? Not for two permanents to the owner's hands. That's like two blockers back while I alpha strike you. The next common is Mirren Metal, which is one forest. Target creature... It's an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If you have Metalcraft, it gets plus four, plus four. These cards are really exciting, you guys. <laughs> this next card I'm going to put into my Thopter Assembly deck. It's a Training Drone. It's three colorless. It's a 4-4. Four, four. Training Drone can't attack or block unless it's equipped. I'm not sure what to think of that card. I think it's bad. Am I wrong? Uh, I'm not that sure. It sounds pretty bad, for sure. <laughs> It'll be good in that standard Thopter Assembly deck, though. Our next common is Scourge Servant, which is four and a black. A 3-3 zombie with infect. Seems overcosted to me. It is infect. But mighty durable. 3-3 three, three infect is a pretty tough trade. Hey, Fracture. Hello, Hello. I'm late. No worries. Hey. Thanks for joining us. And the next common is Unnatural Predation. One forest, it's an instant. Tart creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. So they've added some nice pump spells for infect. Yeah, insect's gotten a lot more... Powerful and mirrored in siege, which is pretty nice. Well, I guess it depends how you, how you look at it. And the next common is Steel Sabotage, which is one blue. It's an instant. Choose one, counter target artifact spell, or return target artifact to its owner's hand. I usually don't like those kind of really specific counter spells, but I think that in this particular set, it might actually be worth having maybe one or maybe even two in main deck for. Like if you're playing blue. I mean, it's not like some of the older cards 
blue elemental blast or something, but it's better than those. I mean, artifacts are generally used in Mirrodin, so I think that actually is a good card for limited. And our next common is Rested Slasher, which is four colorless mana. It's an artifact creature. Sacrifice an artifact, regenerate Rested Slasher. It's a four-one creature. I should have mentioned, but how valuable is that regenerate? With the cost, like sacrifice an artifact and a power of right. one, worthless, okay. I'd say. Maybe sack an artifact, toughness three, maybe. Mm. All I have to say with this powerful pack that I've opened, I'm glad we're not all in the same room, because you guys would probably beat me up for these cards. Um, the next one is... I'm already looking for your address. <laughs> the uh, next one, well, I'll narrow it down for you. It's somewhere in Texas. The next one is Tyne Shrike, which is three and a white. It's a 2-1 bird that has flying and infect. So that was our last common. If you were stuck with the commons, which one would you take? Blue return to permanence. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that sounds okay. I mean, the infect creatures don't sound too bad either. The flying infect seems okay, but... I think by the time third pack rolls around, I'm going to have a hard time drafting a white infect creature. Also true. Yeah, it's a tough call. I think I'd throw them all away. Um, did anybody else have any other comments on the, uh, I mean, any other comments on the comments? So, what do you guys think of the white infect cards? I guess there's Tyne Shrike, Shriek, Shrike, and, um, Priest of Norn. Seems kind of odd. I mean, they're actually not bad. They're not bad anti-infect cards. Hmm, that's a good way to look at them. Yeah. Because one of the infect creatures that often gives people issues is, um, you know, like Blight Mambo, which obviously can't get past an infect card that has at least one toughness. I mean, it's kind of, you know, one thing with infect is that a part of what makes infect good is that they can just keep attacking you without really worrying because they imagine that your creatures are going to be shrunk. So even if their, you know, their card dies at the end of combat, that means that their next attack is going to get through because your creature will be too small to, to kill the creatures again. But with, you know, your own infect guys, they can't really just keep attacking without losing more than they're gaining. That's a good point. I like that. So moving on to the uncommons, uh, we have Peace Strider, which is four colorless mana. It's a 3-3 three, three artifact creature. When Peace Strider enters the battlefield, you gain three life. Not, I, I think we had this discussion before when we were talking about the pre-release, like the, the primal versions of those cards. Uh, life gain's not a really good mechanic. Especially in this set where you have infect. Not a ground shaker. With 3-3 three, three and 3 life, I'd expect him to be costed at 3. At 4, he's just not very appealing at all. Yeah, that would save him. And then the gain 3 life would just kind of be a icing, I guess. Our next uncommon is Lead the Stampede. I haven't seen this card. I don't remember it. 2 in a forest. It's a sorcery. Woo! It's a wall of text. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal any number of creature cards from among them. Put the revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So, uh, kind of like Beast Hunt. Was Beast... That's a great card. Was Beast Hunt a sorcery or an instant? I don't recall. Sorcery. Did it return creature cards? Did it put creature cards in... Put them into your hand. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty nice card. The next uncommon is Plague Maw Beast, which is three and two green. 
It's a 4-3 creature, obviously. Um, you can sacrifice a creature and proliferate. I like I like the new mechanics for proliferate. I think it's actually going to be pretty cool. And, I don't know, it's not a bad card. You know, a sack engine. You need to get those last few infect points in. It's not a bad idea just to start sacking stuff to proliferate. All right, you ready for the rare? Let's do it. I like this one. This reminds me, do you guys know how they're... Um, kind of splitting the new packs. No. You'll have, um, let's see if, make sure I can get this right. You'll have five commons from one faction, five commons from another faction, and then your uncommons is the opposite faction of your rare. So if your rare is Phyrexian, then your uncommons are Mirrodin and vice versa. I wonder how they work that out with the printer. Yeah, I'm sure he really appreciated it. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> um, so, the rare is... I like this card, but apparently I'm kind of alone. The um, Phyrexian Rebirth, which is four and two white. It's a sorcery. Destroy all creatures, then put an XX colorless horror artifact creature token onto the battlefield, where X is the number of creatures destroyed this way. I like that card. Oh, it's a solid card for sure. Especially limited, I mean... I mean, it's more of a limited bomb just because of the fact that in Constructed there, I think that, you know, you're paying an extra two mana to get, like, a, you know, that XX creature, and it doesn't really have any kind of, like, ability on it. So it's pretty much just, like, a, a vanilla big creature, maybe about five, five, six, six, unless there's, like, a huge board, which, you know, in which case it can be pretty large. But I guess the main like, criticism against it is that it's just so easy to get rid of that extra effect. So you're playing, you know, you're paying all that extra mana for, like, a creature that can just be killed by anything, like, you know, a any kind of exile effect or a shatter or what have you. Yeah, the only advantage I see in constructed play is that it does get you from that five to eight day of judgment type effect count in your deck. Whether you can fit four more at six mana, I doubt. But yeah, this was a limited pack. I'd probably definitely choose that card. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'd be the first pick, for sure. Yep. Especially... I'd play it if it was in my colors, and I'd hate draft it if it wasn't in my colors. Especially in this pack. So that's it. I'm looking at Fracture's post here about getting on MTG cast. Yeah, that would be interesting. I just know that they've got quite a big network uh, there. I don't know how many other people do their podcasts the same way that I do, but I don't really subscribe to any one of the podcasts on the MTG cast network. I pretty much just subscribe to the MTG cast RSS feed which means that every single podcast that comes along just shows up in my reader and I'll listen to them, you know, here and there. And it could just be another way to get people listening if we are looking for that. Yeah, I just thought of this as something that was kind of yeah, tailored I, to uh, folks in the Seraphim clan, really. I know it's very... Though it would be cool to get people, like, them to discover Seraphims through our podcast. Well, it's very easy to get on MTG Cast. Other than the Seraphim information, there's nothing really unique about it. Per se, but there's not really much unique about most of them on there. Really, no, that's true. It. That's true. That's true. It would be a nice recruitment tool. I guess for that reason, they may not may not allow us to uh, be on there since we've it's kind of clan clanny. But you never know. It's worth considering. It's something to think about. No, it is. On a related note, at some point, I would love to do a proper only podcast. I just don't have the resources to do so. I don't have any kind of recording, so. Oh, well, you're welcome to, we can do that here. It's a great idea. It's a great idea. What was the idea? to have a podcast about Popper. 
are you wanting to, like, what do you want to do? I haven't really thought about it too much. Mostly I've just noticed that there's no um, podcast for the format. Uh, even uh, PEC doesn't really have one. And it, sometimes it's hard to find what tournaments are going up with Popper because they post them. They don't always really get back on them. And it would be interesting to see what kind of decks are being thrown around because they do kind of come and go. And there are several different formats. Uh, I guess there's something that would be a lot easier to maybe tie in with the PDC just because that's kind of their deal. Um, but it's a format that's kind what of almost PDC? unique to MTO. Popper, I forget exactly what the full uh, abbreviation is, but it's essentially a group of people that run Popper tournaments damn near yeah, daily. Like Popper fan yeah, well, you're welcome to uh, do a segment on this, or just, I mean, we can have a section on, I mean, a dedicated time slot for it. Um, all of that's good. If you want to do that, that'd be great. That's something I'll probably talk to you about at another time, uh, just because it's it's an interest of mine. I pretty much solely play Popper, and uh, I think the format really can bring people in who may may or may not want to dive headfirst into MTGO because of the cost involved and if they already have a paper collection. Uh, when I first started getting on, it was a way for me to justify buying cards online because they're only, you know, mostly penny cards and at the most your your Uber rares are going to be $4. Yeah, that's, that's what's nice about it, obviously. Yep, and we do have a classic popper tournament coming up, so next week might be a good time to take some time and talk about popper. But yeah, I, I always hope that... Uh, you know, people would be interested in doing a segment. It doesn't even have to be something dedicated. If you've got something to say, that you can, we can sort of make some space for it. So, we're thinking about. When is the Whopper um, tournament? Hopefully, I can I make think it. It's February 18th. That would be the pre-release date for Mirror Besieged as well. I guess we'll find out. If I get planny or consumer. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully you can take a few hours off if you're uh, busy drafting to plan a tournament. Do, uh, do, does anybody yeah. else listen to podcast? Podcast? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, magic podcast. Uh, I listen to several of them. Uh, lately I haven't really had as much time, but I there's probably about eight or nine of the different ones that are on the MTG Cast Network that I listen to uh, that are magic-related, and there's a lot of other podcasts I listen to outside there of There are only two that I really look forward to on MTG Cast. Which ones? The A team. Like that one I really like. Why? Why? I don't know. Just because they're guys fucking around talking about magic. They've got some good humor going yeah, on Yeah, they're funny guys. Yeah, like they're really funny guys. Um, I think, anyway. Because like Monday, Monday Night Magic is not funny to me. I don't know. you got to have a kind of sense of humor that can deal with that show. It's kind of... But, I don't know. It's just, it, it's not funny to me. Woods' stories usually make me laugh. Uh, no, Common oh, yeah. Woods, uh, who's a bunch of players on there a lot, and he usually has some pretty ridiculous stories. Yeah, I really stories. like Conley. Um, and then the other one is Limited Resources, which is just a really well-done podcast, I think. It's about limited, obviously. Does anybody else... Which podcast do you like, Fracture? Actually, yeah, Monday Night Magic's the one I do look forward to, unless Tom's not hosting it. I think it's boring. Um, but outside of that, uh, The Mana Pool, I like that one. Uh one of the guys that's on him Monday night is also on that. Uh, I like the A-team. Uh, the one they had on a few weeks ago, they're almost borderline having a fighting match with Patrick Chapin. Oh, yeah, I like that one. Uh, I kind of like In Contention, but that's kind of a bias because um, 
a couple of guys that do that are locals here. I mean, they don't know who I am, but I've seen them at tournaments and stuff. And when I realized somebody locally was doing a podcast, I felt I had to listen to it. Oh, yeah. That is pretty cool. That pulled me in. Yeah, that Chapin argument was wild. When I heard it, I, I really thought, um, what's the guy's name, Jay Bush? I was I totally liked I totally respected what he did. I mean, he was just like, you know, that's cool. <laughs> but uh, Chapin was just like ripping into him. He had a point with it. Uh, I kind of missed the initial argument, so I had to pick up what they were fighting about during the podcast. Um, it just got to a point where I was like, okay, mommy and daddy are fighting. And I'm gonna go play <laughs> with my friends. Yeah, it did get to that point. Yeah. Yeah, but then uh, Jay said he just did it to shut Chapin up, you know. And I was like, oh, no. so, because I thought Chapin did had a point, and I thought Jay was kind of saying, yeah, yeah, you got a point. So that's it for episode thirteen. Okay, I think that does it. Thanks for joining. Is Tim still here? It was nice to have Tim. I like how it all built up. We thought we were gonna have a few people, and then everyone just yeah, showed no, up. Yeah, that's cool. That's it for episode thirteen of the Voice of Seraphim. I'd like to thank Fist, Tim Evans, Fracture, Prism, and of course Eldritch for joining us. And of course Eldritch for joining us. This is Dicax, and you've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. Join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim next Saturday, February 12th at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. Until then, this is Dicax and Eldritch, your co-host, signing out.